buying behavior has changed. Prospects don't click on links and emails anymore, and they don't watch the videos you spend hours creating every week. Instead, send personalized gifts and memes using Vidyu. You can quickly create engaging, personalized content that immediately grabs your prospect's attention, helps you stand out in the inbox, and does it all without forcing them to click anything or go anywhere. Head over to vidyou.io slash salescast to sign up for free and spend less time getting your messages across and more time selling. In the world of sales, you either sink, swim, or break through to the next level. My name's Colin Mitchell, and this is Sales Transformation, a new kind of sales show designed to bring you through the epic, life-changing moments of elite sellers so you can experience your own sales transformation. Hey, before we start today's episode, I wanted to bring you in on the best kept secret in B2B sales. If you're serious about social selling and your only strategy is cold DMs through LinkedIn, you're missing the mark big time. Learn how a fully managed revenue generating podcast can change your life and your pipeline at salescast.co. All right, welcome to another episode of Sales Transformation. Today I've got Jamal Reimer. Uh, he is the owner over at Mega Deal Secrets. Jamal is has 20-year veteran of enterprise seller who has cracked the code to selling exponentially large enterprise deals, having closed 160 million in SaaS revenue as an individual contributor for small vendors and top global software. software software providers. I can't speak today. <laughs> Jamal, how you doing? I'm doing well, Colin. Good to be here. Yeah. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Um, take us back a little bit. Like, Where did your sales journey start? And then let's go from there. Uh, I had a very illustrious beginning to sales. Um, when I was uh, a freshman in college, I yeah. had uh, maybe the year before that returned from uh, Africa. My, my parents were living in Africa. It was South Africa. The the currency had plummeted and they couldn't pay for college. So I had to come up with a, a way to do that really quickly. And I was basically recruited by a fellow student to go sell books door to door. And long story short, that was my first experience in selling. I, I, I sucked my first year. I worked uh, 80 hours a week for 13 weeks and I came home with 2200 bucks. Oh, wow. And I was so scared of the experience. I was so beaten up by the rejection that I actually had an interesting response. I said, I, I just can't let there be something that I'm that scared of to exist. So I got to go back and I got to do it again <laughs> until I'm not that scared anymore. <laughs> and so I did. And it turned out to be a kind of a, a student career. I did it for five summers and just got better and better every year. And by the end of it, I, I, I made enough money to uh, fund a service project, which was to do a video, travel to these different places around the world where young people were doing uh, acts of service. And I made a video about that to promote young people doing acts of service. That was cool. Wow. Okay. Kind of crazy. Most people would have, uh, you know, 
ran ran for the fences there, <laughs> having an experience of getting beat up from door to door selling, right? Yeah, yeah, it was traumatic. I'll, I'll, I'll leave it there. <laughs> it, it's it's funny though because I've talked to a lot of people that have had very successful careers in sales, you know, like yourself. Um, and many of them started door to door, you know, whether it's selling Cutco or books or magazine subscriptions, like you name it. Um, you, yeah. I mean, it's, it's one thing to cold call on a phone and get hung up on or called, you know, some certain names, <laughs> you know, but door to door, like, you know, it's a whole different story. I mean, the, the, the short kind of, essence of what that experience is like is uh, my first summer we went to the Midwest and it was small towns in Kansas. And evidently every other type of door-to-door seller had already been through this area. (laughs) And it was my first year and I had no thick skin whatsoever, you know, little mama's boy. And I went, I was getting beaten up right and left for a whole week. It was like my first week at doing this. And at the end of that week, I went up to this one older home that had uh, a porch and a, a screen door, you know, it is blazing a hundred degrees, really humid. And I knocked on the door and I could hear the, this door kind of creaked open. And then just through the screen, I could see through the shadows, a, kind of a half a face come forward. And this whisper was like, what do you want? And I, I started my little approach and my little spiel. Yeah. And then I just heard, I don't want, anything that you have (laughs) (laughs) boom doors closed and uh that was kind of one of the lowest points of the summer that uh, that i had to learn how to rebound from and i'm glad that i did because uh it uh it it left the door open to have a great career in sales yeah so all right so let's fast forward a little bit tell me when when did you get into SaaS sales uh it was after i was a failed startup founder Wow. Okay. So my, uh, my, my partner and I, uh, I, I left San Francisco where I had a beautiful life as a, uh, a banker. I was, I worked at Citibank and I worked in the Citibank private bank, taking care of superly, uh, rich people. And I left that to go to Seattle to start a startup. We did it for two years and it failed. And mm-hmm. then I moved to Chicago to be close to some people, uh, some really good friends of mine. And I got a job at a software company that wanted somebody to sell for them to open up the financial services market. And I got the job because uh, the startup was about financial services. My background was in banking, but I never sold a thing other than books in, in mm. adult life. Okay. And so, and, and so you, that, so uh, after the banking, then you went into SaaS sales or was that, were you, were you a founder of that company, part founder of so, that company? Dude, this is before SaaS sales. I'm 100 okay. years old. I'm 53 years old. Software at that time was on-premise software, right? Discs oh. that you put into your servers within your firewall and fire it up and use it as you like. SaaS wasn't invented yeah. for almost another decade until after that. Got it. Okay. And then what? Um, when? When did you? What? Ha- what went wrong with with entrepreneurship for you? Um, our our market idea was uh, our, our our, our business idea was market sensitive. We we were kind of like Carta, you know. If you know Carta, they're the ones that hold all of your equity based compensation, and you can see how many shares do you have, how many options have you been granted, and how many of them are uh, are are uh, 
uh, have you exercised or invested, et cetera. We had that idea like in 1999. And when the market crashed, nobody wanted to emphasize their equity-based compensation because everybody was underwater. So we didn't have a business in that environment. So we, we folded. Just bad timing. Bad timing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then, so then after, after that, um, well, I'm curious though, from going, you know, from, from previous roles into entrepreneurship, like, how do you think that helped you? Did you, what did you learn through that experience? I mean, um, so you, you, you move from having to take care of everything to having a very narrow purview. Yeah. But when you are talking with um, executives or, or management, you, you have a wider perspective. Yeah. And it's easier to make that jump from talking about features and functions and software into business outcomes and, you know, what they're trying to achieve and earnings per share and how, how you could move the needle with that and things like that. Wow. Okay. And do, I'm curious if that, ex, do you think that experience helped kind of shape, you know, the work that you do today, helping people close mega deals? Um, yeah, but it got worse before it got better. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Tell me more. <laughs> uh, the, the first career, the first decade of my selling career, excuse me, <clears throat> was, uh, was really hit or miss. Mm -hmm. uh, I started out with a bang and then, um, I, I got, uh, there was a series of smaller companies that I worked for and there was a, there was, I got into a rut where I got fired twice in a row for underperformance. Mm -hmm. I just couldn't get my arms around how to sell what I was selling. So twice in a row I was, I was fired. And then after that, I was like, is this really for me? Am I... Mm -hmm am I the right guy for it and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. To the point where the recruiter that I was begging for to help me get a job, he looked at my, my resume and he said, well, he saw me going like year, year and a half, year, year and a half to all these places. He's like, uh, it's, it's not like you worked at Oracle for the last 10 years. And sure enough, the next job that I got was working for Oracle. <laughs> How so, did you manage that? Uh, I, it, it turns out that I got hooked up with a desperate manager who turned out to be the worst manager of my life. And he couldn't hold oh it to save his life. You weren't kidding when you said it got worse. <laughs> it got worse before it got better. So I worked for this guy for two years. He impacted my health. I got anxiety, cold sweat, you know, chills at night, all kind of stuff because he was, uh, he was an intimidator and he mm. burned reps. He was very successful and he helped some of his reps to be successful and we closed a few sizable deals, but in the process, he just turned me and other reps inside out. Wow. Um, and then I met my future wife, who is a Swedish doctor who was visiting her family nearby. And we met through mutual friends. A year later, we decided to get married. And I moved to Sweden because she can't practice medicine in the U.S. She's mm. trained and certified in Europe. And once I moved to Europe, um, I, I stayed with Oracle in a different business unit. And that's where my big deal experience really took off. And what was the leadership like there for you? Oh, much. Well, the first manager was definitely better than the other one. And then the next manager was better. And then the, the last manager 
was great. He was the one that uh, I stayed with until uh, uh, I left a couple of years ago. Okay. So, I mean, I'm just curious in that timeline, right? From getting let go at two jobs, really questioning like, is sales for me, um, to moving, you know, to another country. Um, and then things starting to turn around and get better and starting to get experience closing larger deals. What, what do you think shifted or what did you learn in that time to go from somebody getting fired from underperformance to closing large deals? There were definitely some aha moments. And um, I, I, I recently wrote a book. I'll tell you about the book a little bit later, but I tell this story in the book that this is yeah. kind of like the watershed moment among several watershed moments. Um, I was brought into an account um, that was an existing customer, uh, but they really hated us, especially in that moment. Um, we had recently acquired the tool that they were using. And as so often happens, there's lots of turnover in the wake of an acquisition and all the folks from the smaller company leave because they don't want to work for the big company. And then it happened. Mm -hmm. So uh, the company, the, the relationship was in disarray. The customer was extremely dissatisfied looking around at alternatives. <clears throat> and I was basically mentored by my head of sales and my head of services. And there were these 20 year old veterans of the industry, you know, salty, foul mouthed, you know, yeah. but, they knew the insides and the outsides of every bit of this space. And we were sitting in a meeting with the, the executive sponsor of this engagement. And we were going through, so there was software and there were services involved. And so we were going through how we could discount this or that, or we could move a, an offshore team to be onshore to get higher quality. Isn't it? And the customer stakeholder, he just put up his hands. He says, guys, 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 this is not about, discounts and onshore or offshore consultants. This is about how we steward the most important IP of this company. Mm. And it was this long pause. I looked at each other and the whole conversation shifted from there. And we, and, and it was a, just a, it was a different journey from there when we understood the importance and the urgency of the matters at hand. And what that led to was us hearing them to the point where we, as a team, got in the foxhole with the customer and sales led the way. We didn't throw this over the fence to customer success or services or anything like that. We stayed with them and we redid everything. We did uh, a non-standard commercial model. We did a non-standard operational model. We changed the who and the how and everything about this thing, which is really where I learned around how to, how to get around rules. And they're, they're just rules and guidelines and anything can be broken if it's in the, if it's the right thing to do for the customer. Mm. And then the, the punchline of the story is that we took the customer who used to be a dissatisfied $10 million account and in nine months helped them to renew for three years for $50 million. And that was the experience that opened my eyes to this whole nother world of selling that I had never been exposed to when I was what I now call a run rate seller. 
and you know, you get that first view over the mountain, you see this other valley you never knew was there. Mm. It's like, holy cow, that's, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to do for the rest of my career. Now, it's interesting because in that situation, right, trying to renew the client, talking about discounts and <laughs> features, right? And you, you would have thought you, 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 and was that the way that people were still mainly selling at that time? At least in your organization? Or in the, your unit? I'll, uh, to keep the, an over an overly simplified um, answer is yes. Yeah. Um, and then all it took was that one buyer being brutally honest of you know the situation to realize that there was a better way. Yeah, and it and it did change the way we sold um, to the point where that customer stayed with us for, for years. And I did multiple mega deals with this, with this one customer because of the nature of the relationship that we were able to establish the nature of the model we were able to establish. It's almost like it, it a high quality buying selling process can lead to the establishment of an, of a relationship and a model that almost has its own mode around it. Mm that would be tough as nails for a competitor to come in and try to eat down. So it's interesting. You, you can use com- sales as a competitive advantage in building a unique relationship. And the relationship is kind of the, the omnibus word, but the, the pillars of, of the, the, the technical architecture and the team in place and how it's run and how you charge for it. All that stuff goes to the buying. I guess you could call it initially it's the buying experience, but then it turns into the relationship experience. How is it for them using your stuff? Do they get value from it all? Because that's, that's the issue with SaaS, right? You Mm -hmm. you always have got to be bringing success to the customer because it's not a one-time sale. It's a monthly or an annual sale over and over. Right. Right. And then how did that change? how you sold generally or even like, okay, so we've talked about the one deal went from 10 to 50 and then they renewed multiple times, but how did that help you and change the way you sold generally? And what did you bring to other deals to close more deals similar to that one? Um, it, it, it set that dividing line between <clears throat> there's there's books out there that talk about you know selling above the line right so there's that line and that line below the line are folks who are lower in the organization i lovingly call them worker bees right they're on the shop floor they're doing the tasks and they're, they're making the donuts and yeah. above the line are the folks who manage everything and once you get to that level of management you're not doing the tasks anymore you're watching folks and you're helping teams get things done. And the higher you go, the, the broader your scope. And sitting there in that first meeting and having other meetings like it, where I just listen to my execs talk to their execs, I'm just like, these guys are talking like their neighbors talking over the backyard fence. You know, it's just so plain and so simple. And all the mid-level and the lower level folks, when I'm in meetings with them, everything's all complicated and 
they use long terms and they get into these crazy details that at the end of the day don't really matter. And so I'm like, I, I want to stay with the executives. <laughs> it's more fun. It's simpler. You get more done in like a fraction of the time. And that was kind of the permanent uh, change in my mindset. I'm like, I want to go to the top because that's where stuff gets done. And that's where important conversations happen. I don't want to get bogged down with these lower things. I mean, not that you never want to talk to them, but it's, it's just a focus, right? It's, it's where do you, where are you looking? Wherever you look, that's where you're going to wind up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. And, and, and then, so then you were at Oracle for, for how long? 13 years. And then what, what was, uh, what, what was the transition after that for you? Um, there was, a, there was a short period where I said, okay, I'm, 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 I'm done working for companies and I'm going to go out on my own. And I started to consult with a number of companies and then one of them really kind of took off. And then they said, Hey, we need you full time. We, you know, and so I took that on for about a year, year and a half. And then, um, and then it was, uh, uh, t- time to move on from there too. And so now here I am. Got it. And and when did you write the book? Uh, the book took a year and a half to write, and it came out yeah. in uh, November, two thousand twenty. Wow. What's the, what's the response been so far? Uh, it's been really great. Um, uh, I keep a little folder of the feedback that I get. Mostly, people just give me feedback on on LinkedIn, uh, but yeah. now the reviews are starting to come in from Amazon. So they, they've just been really positive. The the general feedback is that uh, the format of the book is engaging because it's written like a novel. It's like a sales novel. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the story of this first big deal that I ever did. Yeah. And it goes through all the colorful characters and all the ups and downs and the uncertainties that I had and the areas we didn't know what we were doing. And then the areas that we really knocked it out of the park up to the big, you know, climactic finish. And then, um, yeah, it tells the whole story. And so it's a, it's, a, it's a bit of a page turner. It's actually fun to read. It's not like, here's the metric of how you do this process and all this other kind of stuff. Yeah. 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 And, and so, and then do you, you work with individuals or teams on like how to implement these type of things to close bigger deals or, or tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah. Um, when I started doing podcasts to begin with, I'd have a lot of sellers, you know, follow up after Oh, great episode. I'd love to do big deal. How do you do Can you teach me? You know, and stuff. Yeah. And that started, um, I took a group of sellers and I said, okay, I'll get on Zoom with you guys once a week for as long as it takes to get out everything I know about how to do large deals. And that has morphed and, and, and iterated into a, uh, a multi-month masterclass. And so it also started with individuals, but now managers are starting to notice the difference in their sellers and they're starting to come around now. It's becoming more of a, uh, I I, I do some for individuals and now I'll be doing more for that are private for for some some pretty big brands and some scale-ups. What are, what are a few, what are a few things that are maybe covered in the book or just key, key ingredients to people that want to, you know, have the, you know, have a seat at the table to have those conversations to, um, get started with 
selling bigger deals if they you know don't have a lot of experience or really just are trying to go upstream um the the first thing is just mindset i I had this mindset experience that i just kind of explained through these initial stories and my mindset shift was okay there's this line and there's folks below and there's folks above and everything happens at the above level that's oversimplifying but that's kind of what i was left with and as soon as that was made plain and clear to me that changed everything about how I sold. And then I started to think, well, how can I get high? I'm just a lowly sales guy. And so I started to then um, get into the whole concept of leverage. And so I started to leverage my executives or our, um, our board of advisors or our board of directors or uh, the managing director of whatever uh, SI we were working with at that time. Anybody who I was like, who has probably already got relationships with the senior folks I'm trying to get to and how can I befriend them or guilt them or whatever <laughs> at all costs. <laughs> and so at all um, costs to leverage them, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, but, but, um, and, and then I took a, a cue from, well, and as part of this, I took a cue from somebody who, you know, the person who I watched do their, the first time I saw somebody actually do mega deals, and she said, Jamal, I'm an extremely needy seller. I need others for everything. I go get executives to knock down the door and to establish the executive relationship. I get the A players on the pre-sales team to run the, the, the demos and the discovery. I get the strategy people to engage with um, their kind of big thinkers about where we're going to go in the future. And so I'm like, great. If, then that must be a part of the playbook. Um, I'm just going to start to do that. Um, and then that rolled into getting these folks involved early in the sales cycle. Lots of sellers are used to the idea of bringing in their executives, but they do it late when things are almost kind of wrapped up. Mm. Mega dealers do it right up front. You know, like how early, how early are we talking? Uh, I have conversations with my executives. As soon as I smell that there could possibly be an opportunity, if I've done enough research to say, yeah, Okay. We sell by the seat and we sell to sales organizations and they've got a bajillion sellers. So if they bought, they could buy it big. Okay, that's almost enough. And then I go to somebody who I want to use as leverage. If I don't have any relationships in that customer, I go to somebody super senior in my organization or somebody who I know knows people over there. And I say, I smell smoke. I need you. Will you come and help me start a fire? This thing is not totally qualified yet. We do not have it all buttoned up, but I want to find out really fast if we could get a big deal here. And it ain't going to happen fast unless we get really high really quickly. So will you come along with me for this ride? So you got to know a couple things, right? You got to know how to sell it internally properly, right? To get buy-in for the executives to show up, right? And, 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 the second part is you got to make sure it's a good solid opportunity, right? Because after you do it a few times and <laughs> there's no opportunity, it's going to be a little bit harder to sell it internally, right? Yes, but you don't have to win every time. If you have a good batting average, especially when in, as you're you working with these, I don't want to say using, as you work with these executives to be involved, all of a sudden you, you're in the same boat. So if you're in the same boat and you're all rowing, 
it's not like they can all point at you and say, Jamal, you're, you're, you're the, the weakest link here and you are why this thing didn't work. It becomes our deal. And then, um, yeah, you can't, you can't have a big goose egg after three attempts for sure, but you don't have to win every one of them. You just, um, if you're going about it the right way and if you're, it's like Babe Ruth, you know, everybody respected him so much for his home home runs and pretty much ignored the massive number of strikeouts he had. Yeah. People forget that even, you know, the best, say, since we're talking baseball, right? I mean, like a good batting average is, is, is what, 300, you know, 300 in and around there, which means, you know, you're still not hitting how many times, like <laughs> more times than you're hitting. <laughs> Um, so yeah, well, awesome. I mean, I really enjoyed this conversation. I really enjoyed, you know, learning your story a little bit, um, the ups and downs of it and all of it. (laughs) And, uh, I think that there's a lot of people that can, you know, benefit from implementing these, trying to sell bigger deals. Everybody's always trying to think of how they can sell bigger deals. Where can they connect with you? Where can they get the book? What are we going to include in the show notes for them so that they can learn more? Yeah. I mean, the gateway to all my stuff is my LinkedIn profile. So if folks, you know, check me out, you can, we'll put that link for, for the, the show notes. And then if you go to the featured section, there's a, there's a link in the featured section on where to get the book. And there's a link to my, my webinar, right? The webinar is, um, what is it, what does it take? What are the five that it's called the five shifts, which are the five things that sellers need to do to transform themselves from run rate sellers into something, you know, much, much bigger. How, how do we come and make a deal? Awesome. Thanks so much, Jamal. Really appreciate it. If you enjoyed today's episode, please write us a review, share the show with your friends. It really helps us out. I'm always listening for your feedback. You can go to salestransformation.fm, drop me a voice DM, and I will get back to you. Hey, you stuck around. That tells me you're serious about your own sales transformation. If you're tired of doing things the old way and want to get started in your journey with other people on the same path, head over to salescast.community and crush your numbers on your leaderboard. Yeah, it's free. Salescast.community. Send me a DM with your best pitch and mention this ad, and I might even give you free access to our best templates.